0: Well, thank you for coming along and uh, we're going to, over the next couple of months, do a series on Christian ethics. Now it's not going to be every week because there are other things going on, uh, but uh, for a couple of sessions in August, another one in September, and maybe we'll schedule in one or two others after that if you, if you feel it's worthwhile uh, looking, at, looking at this subject. And tonight I really just want to do An introduction to the subject. I want us to think then, what is ethics first of all? Now, as humans, we are moral beings. I think you'd all agree. We've got that inner sense of that certain things are right and other things are wrong. So, for example, if you're in the uh, supermarket and you're in a long queue and somebody pushes to the front of the queue, you immediately feel that's wrong, don't you? On the other hand, if you, I don't know, if you're, if you're walking by the side of, a, of, a, of the weaver, river weaver, and the child falls in and somebody dives in afterwards, risking their life, you immediately think, well that's, that's good, that's right, we've got that moral sense within us of good and also of, of bad. And throughout history, people have studied morality uh, and we sometimes use the word ethics as well, and we, we tend to use them interchangeably. And, and the first thing I want us to try and think about, what's the difference between morals and ethics? So that's the first question I'd like you to think about, just for 30 seconds in your groups. What do you think the difference is between morals and ethics, or are they the same thing? Right, okay, well I'm I'm going to give you definitions now very simple definitions of of what both mean and the trouble is we tend to use both interchangeably and so I'll probably get it wrong and use the word morals when I mean ethics and and vice versa but there is a, strictly there is a difference morals comes from a Latin word which means customs or habits Uh, and morals are what people do okay, morals are what people do It's your customs, your habits. But ethics comes from a Greek word meaning rule or standard. And so ethics are what people ought to do. The standards that we ought to live by. So uh, when we come to study Christian ethics, we're trying to study what Christians ought to do. That's what we, we're doing. So there is a distinction. So morals are, morals are how you live. And ethics is how you should live. If you want a very simple uh, you know, explanation of the difference. So. Why do we study ethics? Well I think you you'd probably realise that we make moral decisions every day. Uh, and each of us has a set of morals that we, we live by. Uh, But people never usually think about the the principles that underlie those morals, okay? And that's okay until we face a, a situation which we've never encountered before. Maybe a moral dilemma. And these moral dilemmas are being sort of thrown up all the time now by advances, for example, in medical science and when you face a new uh, situation, a moral dilemma to you, you, you can be left asking questions. Well, well, is this right or is this wrong? How, how should I respond to this, this thing? You know, and, and am I responding consistently? Now, a person who understands the, the ethics, the underlying principles... That, that underpin their morals or their morality, then those people are better equipped to, to deal with those situations. So we, it's, it's, it's easier then to decide whether something is right or wrong. Now, as, as Christians, of course, we believe the, the basis for our ethics is, is God's Word, the Bible. Okay? We believe, and the Bible teaches, that God is a moral being. He has a moral character. Uh, and also, his, his character is unchanging. The theologians use the word immutable. I'll give you a couple of references here, but we'll not, we'll not look, look them up now. But Malachi 3.6 and James 1.17. So Malachi 3.6 and James 1.17. And so if God is moral and he's unchanging, then we have to accept that God's, God's judgment of right and wrong doesn't change either. He's unchangeable in his moral character. So what God said was right and wrong in the Old Testament. Still stays the same. Today God is unchanging in his moral. Character. And if it, that's true then. It, we wouldn't be surprised then. That the moral commands that we find in the Bible. All fit together. Because they, they come from. The same person. The same person. God. Whose, whose word it is, then with, with all these different commands that we find in God's word, we shouldn't surprise us then that they all fit together. And that's hopefully what we'll find as we, as we study the subject. Now, and we want to try and understand that. That's the purpose for, for studying Christian ethics, to try and understand what the Bible teaches us about uh, ethics and how we we should respond to that. Now, I want us to look at some alternative ethical views because, as you can imagine, the Bible is not the only uh, ethical view. There are a myriad, a multitude of different ethical views that you will find today. But we can broadly... Broadly categorise them into six categories, which would be helpful to think about. And you can distinguish between them on, 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 on the basis of whether they say that there are any objective ethical laws or not. In other words, are there any absolute laws, are there any moral absolutes that would there exist? And so, let's consider the classical eth- ethical dilemma for a moment. This is the classical ethical dilemma. Is it always wrong to lie? Is it always wrong to lie? Now think about that question for a moment. And maybe, again, in, just in, in pairs or in, in your group... Have a quick discussion about whether you think it's always wrong to lie. Now, we we have to say that that dilemma comes up in the Bible. Do you remember the story in Exodus chapter uh, 1, where the the, uh, uh, Egyptian officials say that they have to uh, kill all the Israelite babies? And what happens is the, the Hebrew midwives basically tell a lie to protect the lives of the, of the babies. And also you remember the story of when the walls of Jericho fell down or, 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 and just before that, Rahab hides the, the spies uh, and tells a lie, saying they're not there when they are. But there are more modern examples as well. Some of you will have read the story of Corrie Ten Boom and how she... Uh, hid or had a secret room in her house and she hid Jews from the Nazis and when they came knocking on the door asking did they have any Jews or or know where they were she she said no so there are uh, examples of this and there are examples in the Bible as well so I want us to think of the first uh, ethical system and that's what's called antinomianism Antinomianism. And this is an ethical view which basically says there are no objective moral laws. Okay, There's no, There are no laws which are binding on everyone. Uh, in other words, there are no laws whereby you can judge whether something is right or wrong. Your morality is simply relative. It's up to you. It's subjective. Your morals are up to you completely up to you uh, and you must never they were gone further say to, you to impose your morals on somebody somebody else so there are no objective binding laws morality is subjective and two examples of uh, systems which would come under this uh, what we what call existentialism, and if you want homework, you can try and find out what that is. Uh, and evolutionism, which is another one. Uh, and basically, the arguments that Hitler used and the Nazis used in the Second World War uh, to exterminate the Jews and other races which were not Aryan, they basically fell into this, this category so there are no objective binding laws. And so their, their, their response to that ethical question would be, well, it's neither right or wrong to lie, because there are no absolute moral laws. and so it's up to the individual to decide what they do. Uh, and if, if it's a good, in, good outcome, well, well, done, right, you know that's right, okay? So that would be the, their sort of reasoning to that question. There are no moral absolutes, so it's, it's neither right or wrong to lie. The second category is situationism. Um, and in this view, there is basically one absolute moral law. And that is the law to love. That's one law which is binding on everyone. just one moral absolute so if something is something is judged as good or not as, as if it's the is it the loving thing to do and everything else is relative and depends on the situation that you find yourself in that's why it's called situationism that's the important question you ask about a a moral dilemma is it the loving thing to do And so the natural response to our moral dilemma would be, well, telling the truth is not an absolute moral law, because the only absolute moral law is to love. That's how they would argue. And so if lying is the loving thing to do, then it's right to lie. That would be how the argument goes. And so lying to save lives is a good thing because it's the loving thing to do. That would be how situationists would argue. The third moral system is generalism. And generalists believe that there there is value in in ethical systems uh, because they produce good results. However, there are no absolute moral laws that are binding... (coughs) On everyone, all of the time. Okay? There might be general laws that are binding most of the time, but there are no laws which are binding all of the time. An example of a a system which is is, comes into this category is utilitarianism. Uh, And basically. In utilitarianism, a person must act in a way that produces the greatest good for the most people. That's the, that would be the uh, deciding factor on a moral dilemma. Does it produce the greatest good for the most pleasure? And, and, by, and, and by good, that's often uh, means pleasure. That's often understood as pleasure or, or happiness. this is an example of what's called a consequentialist ethic and it basically is that the end justifies the means. So if there's a good end, in other words, if lots of people are are happy because of this, then to be honest, the means don't really matter. That would be a consequentialist view. And so their response to our ethical dilemma would be this. Lying is generally wrong, it's wrong most of the time, but there are occasions when when the rule can be broken. And so, in this case, lying would produce good results for, for many people, the, the Jews who you are trying to hide or whoever. And so, it's permissible in that case. So that's generalism. Now, if you, th- if you just quickly review those those first three systems I think you would perhaps agree it would be very difficult for Christians to sort of fall into one of those three categories I think we would agree that there are absolute moral laws, we find them in God's word and the fact is there are more than just one moral absolute moral law so we we couldn't even uh, agree with situationism. So we need to consider further uh, systems. And there are three systems now which, which Christians over the centuries have, have sort of uh, agreed with. And I'm just going to outline them to you. And it comes down to what, what we've got in our, in, in our example is a, 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 what we call conflicting morals. We've got a moral which says uh, you shouldn't lie. And you've got a moral which says you shouldn't murder. And and in our our dilemma, they're conflicting, aren't they? And so these these systems uh, are all around about how you deal with that conflict. the first system is what's called non-conflicting absolutism. And basically says there are objective binding laws and we find them in God's word but moral conflicts are not real they're only apparent and this was a uh, position held by uh, Augustine of Hippo and also more recently by a Scottish theologian called John Murray uh, their, their, their pictures there, and basically, they said, if you've got this situation where you've got two things conflicting, then you basically you refuse to lie because it's wrong, and you trust God for a third alternative. Okay, you you trust that God will 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 do something that prevents. That, that lying resulting in, in, in murder. That's what they, they, they believed. Uh, and they said sometimes conflicts in morals uh, are caused by our own lack of faith or, or in some situations by, by our own sin. Uh, and so the response to their, the ethical dilemma would be this. Telling the truth is a moral absolute, so we must tell the truth. Lying is wrong on on all occasions, even if it's to prevent murder or some other awful action. And and there are no exceptions to this. So we must tell the truth and trust God that that he will override and provide a way out, a a third alternative. So that's non-conflicting absolutism. Then we've got conflicting absolutism absolutism and again this teaches that there are objective binding laws but these do sometimes conflict, there are real conflicts, it's not apparent, there are real conflicts and what we do when these conflicts occur is that we choose the lesser of the two evils we choose the lesser of the two evils now we're still guilty because we've done something wrong we've, we've lied in this case so we need to confess we need to repent we need to seek forgiveness having done that uh, and no less than a man than Martin Luther believed that and so the responses uh, to them is that Although telling the truth is is a moral absolute uh, and telling a lie is sin, on this occasion we do the lesser evil. Uh, And so we would lie to save life, but afterwards we would confess to God we've sinned and seek his forgiveness. So that's conflicting absolutism. And the final one is graded absolutism and again this teaches that there are objective binding laws but they don't all have the same weight that there are some higher uh, and some lower moral laws and the passage that that, that is pointed to is the passage in Matthew chapter 22 and it's worth, worth having a look at that just turn into that passage for a moment Matthew 22 and verses 34 to 40 so there it's argued Jesus is suggesting that there are higher commandments and that there are lower commandments and so we use this as a basis for uh, the way we make our decisions and so when a moral conflict occurs we choose the higher law Uh, and so in this case although telling the truth is is a moral absolute and it's our duty but it's our duty to follow the higher moral law Uh, and and in that case we've got being merciful to the the innocent is a higher moral law and so it would be right uh, in in this case to save save life to, to lie, that's uh, that's how it's argued, uh, and it says God is not, doesn't hold us guilty if we have done that, if that's the, the way. And that generally is a, is a position which is held by uh, a lot of evangelical Christians nowadays uh, as, the, as the way to deal with, with a moral dilemma like this. I want us to, just, have, just as we close, think about this question. Do all the commands of the Bible apply today? Okay? Do all the commands of the Bible apply today? You know, you, you, hear, you hear quite often now criticism against evangelical Christians that we're hypocrites, that we are inconsistent. You know, the argument might go something like this. You Christians insist that homosexual behavior is wrong, but you don't insist that people wearing Clothes made of mixed fabrics is wrong. Okay, if you want to see that passage, it's to Leviticus 19, verse 19. Okay? That we're just inconsistent, we're hypocrites. We pick and choose the commands which, which suit us, really. I think that's how the argument goes. And so, we need to think about this question uh, and have an answer, really. Do all the Bible's commands apply today? And the first thing we need to realise is that there are covenant-bound commands. Okay? we need to distinguish between those commands which are linked to the Old Covenant okay, that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, and those commands have been superseded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the other commands that we find in the Old Testament, we also find in the New Testament. And... Uh, so, so even though Christ has fulfilled the law, we read that in the passage at the very beginning, there are some commands which, which appear again. And, and, and homosexuality is one of those commands. It's condemned in the Old Testament. It's condemned in the New Testament. So it's, it's not a covenant-bound command. We find it in the Old Covenant. We find it in the, the New Covenant. Now, if you look at the Old Testament you'll see that the commands really form into, into three categories. There are some commands which are civil and, or social. There are some commands which are ceremonial or religious. And there are a third group of co- commands which are moral and ethical. Now, Jesus fulfilled all those commands when he, when, when, when he lived in his life on earth. We read that that you know that Jesus came to fulfil. But those commands are not treated exactly the same. Turn with me to Matthew chapter seven and verses fourteen Mark chapter seven, verses fourteen to twenty three. There's an argument going on between the Pharisees and Jesus over clean and unclean. And Jesus says in verse 14, again Jesus called the crowds to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he left the crowds and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. And then, out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. In other words, is referring here to the ceremonial law. Okay, the things which were clean and unclean. Then he goes on and says this. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Those things which Jesus describes there all fall into the moral and ethical commands. So they are moral and ethical commands which, which continue in, in the New Testament. Jesus has fulfilled it all, but as Christians we are still expected to follow the moral and ethical commands. So there we've got the old covenant. Try to explain this in a little, a little diagram which has got civil, ceremonial, and moral uh, laws. Christ fulfilled all the law, but some of the moral laws have been carried over in the new covenant. And as believers, we are expected to, uh, to obey them. Now, we don't obey them for our salvation. We obey them because it pleases God that's why we, we do it. Now we've mentioned homosexuality. You can see homosexuality mentioned in Leviticus 18:22. It's condemned there, and it's also con- condemned in the New Testament in various passages, including 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse nine. And we conclude from that it's got abiding significance. When we look at the moral commands in the New Testament, we find that there are two types. First of all, there are moral commands which are cross-cultural. They apply to all cultures at all times. So, for example, a, a command about theft that we've just read, that we, sh- we, don't, we must not steal. We do not steal, as it says in the Old Testament. And Jesus mentions it again. It doesn't matter really what culture you belong to or what time, what century. The command, do not steal, pretty much still applies, doesn't it? it? It's pretty obvious in whatever culture, whatever time. But there are other commands which embody timeless principles. But they've got different cultural applications. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, 18... Paul says, "Do not get drunk on wine." Right? That's a a, a command, and it's a command which has is, is, is a time, got a timeless principle uh, attached to it. Because somebody might argue, "Well, I, I, that's okay. I never drink. I never drink wine anyway." But then goes and gets drunk on. Beer or goes, goes and gets stoned on. Marijuana or something like that. Okay? What we understand is, actually, there's a, there's a principle behind that, below that, which governs us, which governs our, our conduct. Uh, and that might be different in, in different cultures. So if I was going to, to Russia, it might not be wine, it might be vodka, which is the problem. But we understand that there is a principle there that we must not lose control of our bodies by consuming intoxicating substances. Now, I want to give you two passages, and I want you to decide whether these passages, whether it's a cross-cultural, or whether it's it's got it's a. Uh, a, got a principle be, behind it uh, which which may have a different application today which may have a different application in the UK than what it did in Paul's day in the Middle East and the passages are these 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 5 and Romans 16 verse 16 so just to close then uh, if you could just Have a quick look at those and decide in your groups cross-cultural or embodying a timeless principle. Uh, And if, if you come to the conclusion that it's the second one, what would the timeless principle be? And how might it apply to us in the UK? Okay, how might it apply to us in the UK? Two passages tonight Oh sorry I think I might have on the screen anyway, yeah they' there one Corinthians eleven five and Romans sixteen sixteen.